Thanks for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday through Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study together, and apply it to our lives. Uh, today, we're going to go through quite a chunk of Jesus's uh, 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 fair, what's called the farewell discourse. Um, we find this today in John chapter 14. We'll start today in, in verse, I believe we stopped in verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 12. And so we'll pick up there and kind of run through uh, the end of this chapter for today. Again, we're trying to conclude this um, leading up to Easter. So as we approach Easter, we're approaching the cross and we've got a couple weeks to do it. Uh, but, you know, John's uh, detail that he gives us in the last part of his gospel here, uh, you know, 14 through Jesus isn't crucified until uh, chapter 19. And so we're going to be finishing uh, chapter 14 today. So 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. um, We've got some some time here. So we're going to we're going to kind of run through and and what I'll do is I'll read a little bit and then I'll hit the highlights as we go and we'll continue to walk through. Uh, Jesus says again, he's talking uh, to his disciples and what's called the farewell discourse. And he um we pick up in verse uh, 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also greater works than these, because I go to the Father. So Jesus has told his disciples that that he's going uh, to be uh, leaving and going to the Father. And, and if they can't believe him, then they should believe the works that he's done. And the works there uh, specifically uh, have been identified by John uh, as things like the the feeding of the five thousand, um, the the calming of the storm, um, the 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 rising of Lazarus, the the giving sight to the blind man. So Jesus says, "Look, I say to you, whoever believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do." So Jesus is saying, "Those who believe in me, you're going to do greater works than me." Well, that's just pause for just a second, and you and I both know that that seems like quite an absurd uh, statement. Uh, while it is true that after Jesus' resurrection, his disciples did do miracles of healings. Um, you know, Darius' mother was raised from the dead um, by Peter, if I remember correctly. Um, we, we have miraculous healings that happened, but by and large, uh, those were for a time and, and in time, um, they ceased or at least diminished in their presence. So how can Jesus say you'll do greater works than these? You know, this is a this brings us to a topic that's often abused today, um, or or um, uh, maybe exploited a little bit, and that is the uh, view of spiritual gifts and the role of spiritual gifts in the, the church today, and most prominently not to get into a tangent really uh, but probably most clearly seen in our culture today by a vast uh, multitude of self-proclaimed Christian prophets who prophesied for example that Donald Trump would win and be seated as president in uh, this last election. Now there's a lot that could be said about uh, the election and politics and all that. That's not the point. The point is, uh, uh, there is a growing number of people who claim and have made quite a career as uh, prophets and 
claiming to have spiritual gifts and they look at a passage like this and they say well jesus says we'll do greater things than he and so they um they they uh, uh, lean into that it, <clears throat> let me make a, a quick note about the prophets uh, throughout scripture prophets who uh, are proven to be wrong uh there's a name for them, and that's it's not prophets. <laughs> um, uh, a prophet in Scripture does is not wrong because he is speaking on behalf of God, and therefore God is not wrong. Um, and so there are so many today, and, and and again, this isn't a political viewpoint; it's a biblical viewpoint. I'm I'm coming from um, the, those who claim to be prophets and predicted a certain outcome if their outcome is wrong then they are not by definition prophets regardless you know there's one guy that i heard yesterday just talking about um he he says well i was right but it was stolen no a prophecy is a prophecy if it will come to pass per the prophet then it will come to pass regardless of the outcome and so uh, from a strict biblical point of view those who have made that claim they need to be evaluated Um, they need to be weighed and measured against scripture anyway Jesus says you'll do greater works than, than I've done well what does he mean by that and I think the most common understandable meaning of that is not necessarily you know I'm a uh, cessationalist for the most part a cessationalist believes that um, the, the gifts of the spirit the manifestation of the spirit have ceased uh, today now I don't think that's all the time true I think that uh, and I know and fully believe that uh, we have Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing dreams and visions and and we've got Muslim brothers and sisters who are having dreams and visions um, of, of, of Christian preachers and Christian preachers having dreams and visions of um, these these Muslim brothers and sisters um, and, and they're being led together by the Spirit. So I, I'm not saying the miraculous doesn't happen. Um, I, but I'm saying that uh, the manifestation of the miraculous uh, like the early apostles had has ceased so i'm open i'm a friendly cessationalist um and that's a conversation for another day i think the application here jesus says you're going to do greater works than i'm largely speaking about quantity jesus ministry was only three and a half years um in a short 50 years after jesus burial uh the gospel will have spread around the globe and that's certainly greater um, Jesus continues in verse 13. He says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Uh, one, we should we should notice here, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, I will do. Well, who are we asking? Um, according to Jesus here, you're praying in his name, uh, uh, and he is the receiver of that by saying, I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So who are we asking? Again, he says, you're asking me. So Jesus says, I'm going to be departing from you, but you're going to pray and ask me 
in my name. Well, what does it mean to be in the name of Jesus to, or to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, look how Jesus defines this. He says, praying in my name is asking for things that will uh, enable Jesus to bring glory to the Father. It's acting in the will of the Father. And Jesus will make that more uh, expressed and clear uh, as we get into chapter 15. How is glory brought to God? In, in John's gospel, the things that bring glory to God include the rising of Lazarus, if you remember. Jesus' obedience and and going to the cross is said to bring glory to God. Uh, bearing fruit in the life of Jesus' disciples, that brings glory to God. You know, Jesus, is, Jesus completing the work that the Father gave him to do on earth. We'll see in chapter 17, Jesus says that brings glory uh, to the Father. All of this suggests that what brings glory to the Father is our obedience in carrying out the Father's will. And, the, and that is playing the part assigned to us in God's redemptive plan. And so if this is the case, we can understand better the sort of prayer for which answers are guaranteed. Think, God always answers prayers. Now, it might be yes, it might be no, but but when he says, uh, ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Well, so many people have been uh, angered in faith well, I prayed for the lottery, and 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 you didn't do it. And you said I prayed in Jesus' name, and I didn't win the lottery. Well, why is that? Well, to answer the type of prayer, the sort of prayer that that Jesus promises to do, where where answers are guaranteed, it, it, it's to look at well, what brings glory to God. We need to play the part that's assigned to us in God's redemptive plan. It's certainly not wrong to pray for other things, our own personal needs and uh, finances and resources and whatever. But the promise of answer prayers attaches primarily to our part in, in God's plans. And, and that's why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. A concrete example of prayer in Jesus' name is found in, in Acts chapter 4. When, when the early church in Jerusalem, they're threatened by the Jewish leaders, and, and they prayed uh, like this. They said, Now, Lord, consider their hearts and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders uh, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And this was a prayer to the sovereign Lord for Jesus' sake. It was answered immediately. In verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaking, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God more boldly. And so verse 14 here makes explicit uh, what was implicit in verse 13. That is prayer in Jesus' name in, these, in, the, in this verse directed toward, toward Jesus. Ask in my name, and it will be answered. And then he continues in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I mean, that's a pretty uh, uh, clear litmus test there, isn't it? Love for Jesus is not sentimental, uh, but it's expressed in keeping his commands. 
responding to all that he taught with faith, with obedience. In other passages, Jesus' teaching um, is described by his word. Uh, he'll, he'll refer to that in verse uh, chapter 15 as well, uh, referring to his teaching as a whole, which people need to need to obey and accept. If you love me, you'll keep my commands or, or you'll obey what I command. To those who love and obey Jesus, he promised, and I will uh, ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Uh, think about that for just a second. Another counselor, another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The word translated counselor uh, happens here for the first time in John's gospel. And it's not a common New Testament word. And so, and so what is this counselor? Of course, here it's, it's identified as the spirit of truth. The, the meaning of this word uh, needs to be gleaned from its usage elsewhere in John's gospel. To identify what this counselor is, we might ask, well, what does this counselor do? How does John describe this, this counselor as working? And, and, and so in, in John's gospel, after Jesus is um, uh, uh, crucified, and after he ascends to the Father and he leaves them, this counselor is described as comforting the disciples. In verse 26, uh, he is described, or the counselor is described in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 26. Uh, Jesus says here, he says, this counselor will teach you. In chapter 15, it talks about how the, the helper or the counselor uh, will come and testify on behalf of Jesus. This counselor elsewhere talks about, uh, John talks about how this counselor will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and, and judgment. This counselor in chapter 16 is going to guide the disciples in all truth and telling them about the things to come. And so it's understandable then that this counselor has been translated in many different ways, like comforter or teacher or advocate, counselor helper, guide. And none of these terms uh, really satisfy the, the, uh, the, what this counselor does. None of these terms are really enough. This spirit or this helper is described as another helper. That, that, that means that uh, the functions of the spirit also align with the functions that Jesus has played with his people, with his disciples. So Jesus is like this helper. It's another helper just as Jesus, and he will be with you forever. In verse 17, he says, that is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This, this helper currently abides with you, that is, in the person of Jesus, but he will abide in you. The world doesn't see him because he doesn't know him, but you know him because you know me, Jesus says. 
In verse 18, he continues, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. Uh, I will come to you. The, the word orphans is used only uh, a couple times in the New Testament. It's used here and it's used in James as James directs the church not to neglect caring for the widows and the orphans. It's the picture of one who has no one. He says that after a little while in verse 19, after a little while the world will no longer see me, uh, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now again, what does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus, um, after his resurrection, is going to give them eternal life? Yes, but that eternal life is not now. It, it looks forward to a future eternal life. Uh, eternal life that in Christ has already started, but not really um, received until after death. Verse 20, he says, In that day uh, you will know that I am the Father, and that, um, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And, my, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. What a fascinating uh, picture there. Uh, Jesus testifies to the, uh, the importance of the obedience of the believer. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he who has uh, have my, my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and I love him. Uh, you know, there in verse 20, Jesus says, In that day you will know me, you will know that I am in my Father, and, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is saying on that day, that is, after his exaltation, after his resurrection, um, that day when the disciples uh, received the Spirit, they would realize two things. They would understand that they had not been able to under, comprehend before they'd understand what they had missed before it's so often throughout john's gospel john talks about you know the disciples didn't understand it but they would well that's because of the spirit's indwellment the, they'd also understand uh that jesus and the father are are one they don't get it yet they still don't understand it but they but they will and secondly they would understand something new with the coming of the Spirit, they would be in Jesus and Jesus in them. This concept of mutual indwelling is found several times throughout Scripture and throughout John's Gospel. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in chapter 15. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Judas doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. Judas, not Iscariot, however, because Iscariot is, is gone. Uh, he is not around. So Judas is saying, hey, how is in the world? How, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus answered him and says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and abide with him, or make our abode with him. That word abode there is the same word that's used uh, earlier when Jesus says I'm going to my father's house and in my house in my father's house there are many rooms where was that in chapter 14 uh, verse 2 um, that's the same word that's used there uh, it's 
we will make our abide, our abode with him, our presence with him. Remember, this is uh, highlighting the close companionship of the Father, the Son, and the believer. Uh, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my words. Again, a, a pretty strong uh, 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 call to action there. And he does not love me and does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So if you're not keeping my word, understand it's not my word. It's my Father's word. All these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and bring you to your remembrance all that I've said. Jesus is, is saying all these things to uh, to bring comfort to his disciples. Again, they're sitting at the Last Supper. And he says, guys, here's, a th- here's I guess to summarize, one of the big things here is, is if you love me, you'll keep my commands and understand that I'm not leaving you, but I'm leaving and the Holy Spirit, the, the comforter, the helper is going to come um, to, to be with you. It, Jesus f- f- finishes this portion of his farewell discourse through verse 27 by saying this a peace i i the i leave with you my peace i give you not as the world gives do i give it to you don't let your hearts be troubled nor that it be fearful in in jerusalem in the first century there's this idea of roman peace and roman peace was peace uh, by force of sword uh, we will have peace or we will kill you is uh, much of the peace that the first century world was aware of. Jesus says, my peace is different. It's not as the world gives. I, I leave you my peace. Uh, don't let the world, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. You've heard, uh, verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus says, you heard me talk about the fact that I'm leaving, and and yes, I'm leaving, but if you really understood, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father. But you're not rejoicing. They, They still don't get it. Verse 29, now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Again, John's gospel all points to the, the outcome of belief. Jesus says, look, you're not getting it down, but you will understand. And so I'm telling you these things so that when it happens, you may believe. I won't speak with you much more. Verse 30, he says, For the, ru- the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. I think that's powerful. That's a, a second passage uh, where, a uh, second time where, uh, Satan is referred to as the ruler of the world. And Jesus points out here that, that he has nothing in me. He has no hold over me. The ruler has nothing to do with me. Well, how's that ruler coming? Well, it's coming because uh, Judas has gone. He has uh, agreed to, excuse me, he's agreed to betray Jesus. Uh, Jesus can say the ruler has no hold on me but humanity apart from Christ is held by the prince of this world because of their sin 
But Jesus was without sin, and therefore the prince has no hold on him. But Hebrews tells us that that's why Jesus came, to break the power of Satan, who has a grip on creation. Verse 31, he ends here, and he says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded. Now get up, and let's go from here. Jesus ends in verse 31. He says that the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Uh, Jesus' impending passion here as he goes to the cross and his death uh, are not defeat suffered at the hands of the prince of this world, but instead it's an act of obedience. You know, there's this idea of and it's speculated in theology about the ransom theory, for example. The ransom theory suggests that Jesus was the ransom paid. And, and this type of, of vernacular is used to describe Jesus' death as, as a ransom paid to the prince of this world. Of course, there are other theories that, that are popular uh, we've got the ransom theory. We've got the, the crisis victor theory, uh, which is widely considered to be the dominant theory for the historical Christian church. And in this theory, Jesus dies in order to defeat the powers of evil, uh, such as sin and death and the devil, in order to free mankind from their bondage. And so um, this is related to the ransom view uh, with the big difference Uh, is that there's no payment to the devil or to God. Uh, With Christ's victor framework, the cross didn't pay off anyone, but defeated, um, defeated, therefore setting humanity free. So the ransom theory is there's a ransom being paid for. Christ's victor says, no, there's no payment. It's just Jesus defeating. And that is widely considered probably one of the most... um, 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 popular. Of course, there's also the penal substitutionary the- theory, and the penal substitutionary atonement um, is a de- development of the Reformation. Uh, the reformers, specifically Calvin and Luther, uh, uh, looked to it, uh, and they they added a more legal or, or forensic framework uh, into the, the notion of the cross and, and, and the satisfaction the, the, the satisfaction of uh, of the cross. Uh, and so as a result, the penal substitution, Jesus dies to satisfy God's wrath against human sin. Um, and of course, there's vernacular throughout the scriptures to testify to that. And uh, with that, Jesus is punished. Uh, that's the penal uh, aspect of it. In the place of sinners, that's the substitution aspect of it, in order to satisfy the justice of God and the legal demand that God has uh, against sin and the sinner. Um, and of course, this is a very popular theory as well. There's there's all kinds of theories that uh, uh, that uh, uh, are talked about. And of course, there's it's just uh, levels of nuance in it all. But what Jesus says here is very clear. He says, basically, I do as the Father has commanded me. Uh, The the prince of this world has no hold over me. Um, And and so it shouldn't be understood as uh, Jesus is going to be trapped into the crucifixion. Uh, Regardless of how that substitutionary atonement or how that 
atonement works, whether it be the ransom theory or, uh, or penal substitution or, or whatever, Christus Victor, we need to understand that, that here, uh, Christus Victor is the theory that is supported in Jesus' text here. In verse 31, or 30 and 31, the, the ruler has no hold on me, no power over me, no grip on me. Instead, I do as the Father has commanded me. And then he says, he finishes up, says, get up, let's go from here. Again, they're leaving. They're going to be leaving the upper room. Well, I've gone for 28 minutes. Holy cow. I'm so sorry. I hope you're still listening. If not, it's been fun for me. (laughs) Um, We'll pick up tomorrow in chapter 15. Um, There's so much that we could unpack from today's reading. Um, So much that we could unpack. Um, um, But I'm going to leave that for you today because I've already talked for 30 minutes. So God bless. Take care. Thanks so much for listening uh, to Leesburg Daily. Tomorrow we'll pick up in chapter 15. And we will deal with the vine and the branches. God bless. Take care. And thanks for listening to the Leesburg Daily.